video game news and video game music. This is Progress Bar. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Anthony Shelton. You can join the chat at Spreaker.com. Give me your thoughts on anything gaming related that you've seen over the weekend. Give me something to react to. You can also message me on Skype, Progress Bar Radio. Uh, Leave me a brief message and I will put you on air if I like what you have to say. And you can also leave me a voicemail on speakpipe.com slash progress bar speakpipe.com slash progress bar so there was this uh, article on IGN written by Ryan McCaffrey titled first person shooter campaigns are dying and that's awful Imagine a world where first-person shooters didn't have campaigns. Would you be okay with that? Whether you bought it or not, whether you played it, whatever, would you be okay with the idea of having no campaigns and first-person shooters from now on? And I feel like there would be something that's off if that were the case. Like, if you go back as far as GoldenEye, we'll start from there, where console shooters became a little bit more viable. There was GoldenEye, Time Splitters, Perfect Dark, and then Halo came into the question. All of those games had campaigns and a multiplayer, but they both felt as important as each other. I know for me and the people in the circle that I played games with and talked to and went online, came about, talked to also, like, we all played the campaigns and we also played the multiplayer. It didn't really feel like, oh, we played multiplayer more than campaigns. It was just, we played, I'll take Time Splitters. I played a ton of Time Splitters. I probably played as much campaign as I did multiplayer. Same thing, you know, Halo, and then the advent of LAN, you know. But then online happened. And with the ability to play multiplayer whenever you want, that caused a problem. I think more people started to invest in multiplayer more because you didn't have to get your friends together, hook up your Xboxes or Playstations or whatever you had to use to play multiplayer with people. You just do it whenever you want. And not that the campaigns were any less relevant, but the ability to play more multiplayer has decreased the importance of campaigns nowadays. Now, you can play campaigns online with other people, but I think what's happened since those Xbox, PlayStation 2, GameCube days where online was becoming so relevant, it just started pushing campaigns down in relevance. Traditionally, you know, Halo, Call of Duty, Rainbow Six, all those kind of games, they had campaigns with them. But I feel like it would feel really weird if they didn't have one. Obviously, Black Ops 3 on the 360 and PS3, they're experimenting with that. I don't know how that's going, but it just doesn't feel right. Like, I'm a Halo fan, so if you told me Halo wasn't coming out with a campaign, I'd be like, that's weird. It just wouldn't feel right. 
And then you have Total Rock admitting that they should have had a campaign in Evolve. So it's like, campaigns to developers still have some relevance, but then you got these other developers who are like, man, our numbers aren't really showing anything. I mean, I look at my first-person shooter habits last, you know, seven years or so. Even in the last three years, but Titanfall, I like that. Multiplayer-oriented game, kind of a campaign. It was basically multiplayer with voice dialogue over it, so I don't know if I really want to count that as a campaign. So I'll just call it a multiplayer-only game. Rainbow Six Siege, the beta, really enjoyed that. I did. Battlefront, I haven't really got to play it much outside the beta, but you know, it, it was it had some something to it. Evolve, I enjoyed that too, but you know I got all the time I had with it before the game even came out because it had so many alphas and betas. So I did that. But then there's Black Ops 2, which had a campaign, but I didn't spend, I won't say any, I spent five minutes with it. So basically none. But all the rest of my time, which I spent a lot of time, all in multiplayer. And then I got the entire Halo series. I played both the campaign and the multiplayer. I do it for every Halo. But that's not the case with Call of Duty. Modern Warfare 2, I played the campaign, I played Spec Ops, and I played multiplayer. Modern Warfare 3, I played the campaign, and I played the little wave-based mode they had, and I played some multiplayer. But even in the multiplayer, I only played very specific mode most of the time. So it's like these people exist who don't really play campaign, but you got the people who also do play campaign or single or single player mission focused type of stuff. So it's like on the developer side, it's kind of weird. Put yourself in the developer's shoe real quick. If you don't play the campaign, why spend the money and the resources on it? Our campaigns fallbacks for when we don't want to play multiplayer. Like what are they, what are they there for? Because I'm thinking about it, and the way I see it is, if the numbers are showing me, well, yeah, okay, people are telling me that they want campaigns, but then all the numbers are showing most of the time people spend all their time in multiplayer, why am I going to spend the resources and the money developing something people aren't really going to spend time with? Why do that? It doesn't make much sense. If if we're talking in an ideal sense and the developer is trying to create an experience that you're going to enjoy, but they're also trying to make profit because they're a business, it doesn't make much sense by the numbers to develop something and spend money on something that people aren't really going to get much out of. So the question I have for you is do we want a campaign, something with story, or are we looking for something we can play by ourselves? We'll talk about that more coming up. This song is Construction Site by Graham Norgate. You can find that on the Time Splitters soundtrack, speaking of, which is available on Bandcamp. You're listening to Progress Bar. 
That is Construction Site by Graham Norgate. You can find that on the Time Splitters original soundtrack, which is available on Bandcamp. This is Progress Bar. My name is Anthony Shelton. We're talking about the idea of first-person shooters no longer having campaigns, and I find it a very conflicting topic. Because I, as I was going through this topic, I'm like, man, what, what, what would I want if Halo went the way of we're not gonna put campaigns in them anymore? Three four three did that to Halo. I, I just, I don't know how I would feel about that because most of my time is spent in multiplayer, and so if three four three didn't feel justified in putting in a campaign anymore because so many people spend their time playing multiplayer or don't even spend their time playing campaign, why do it? If Activision did the same thing with Call of Duty, it's just like, well, yeah, it's only five hours, it makes sense, but at the same time, it just doesn't feel right. I mean, would you be satisfied with just single-player missions? I mean, what are we looking for? Are we looking for something we could just play on our own, or are we looking for something story-based? Because I think about my time with Modern Warfare 2, I played everything. The campaign, the single-player missions, which you could also play multiplayer, but the single-player missions, and uh, the multiplayer But then I think about something like Rainbow Six Siege, which is all multiplayer, but then I was more fascinated with Terrorist Hunt, which is more of a single-player kind of mission-based mode. No story, no premise or anything like that other than you're killing terrorists, and it's just a single-player mode. You can't play it with other people, but you can play it by yourself, and I found that more enjoyable than the multiplayer So it's like all these different twists and turns in the idea of do we need something to play on our own or do we just separate it into something in its own standalone package like Evolve? Would you be satisfied if developers released a game with a deeper campaign by itself? And a multiplayer by itself? Like Call of Duty. Just the campaign for $30. Halo, just the campaign for $30. And then you get a multiplayer release for $30. If you want the campaign, boom, you got the money there. You want the multiplayer, boom, you got the money there. I feel like in one sense, they could spend a better amount of time developing a better campaign experience, perhaps a longer one. But I also know the struggle of, well, if we're going to spend all that money to create a campaign and create all the crazy set pieces and all the graphics and all that stuff, we're going to have to charge for that. It's a weird struggle. I think about, okay, what's really the point of having the campaign? If, if it's a multiplayer-based game, what's really the point of having these single-player missions and campaign missions? I was playing Halo this weekend, and I felt the urge. I was just like, I don't want to play multiplayer, so I'm going to play campaign. Ultimately, what I wanted was Halo. 
I wanted to play the Halo mechanics, the Halo feel, all that stuff. I just didn't feel like going online. And so you take that away from other people, say, in Battlefront, Evolve, all that. And that's a point Ryan McCaffrey made. It's like, sometimes I just don't want to deal with people. So I need something to play on my own. But does it have to be a campaign? Does it need to be story-based? Or can it be kind of single-player mission-based type of stuff? And do you have to play it by yourself? Or do you make it co-op? There's so many different variables. I don't know how you handle that. Because people like Call of... Millions of people like Call of Duty. You change the fundamental formula of Call of Duty, well then you're kind of splitting the player base but if Activision's still getting their money if the developers are still getting their money then they're satisfied I don't know I can't imagine making a single player campaign story stuff I think that's the most expensive part of a game so to release that at a cheaper price who knows if they'd make that money back The business and art of video games gets a little tough. El Zorro in the chat makes an interesting point. He says, Call of Duty, Battlefield, these are multiplayer focus. But there are also games like Halo that are split, meaning campaign or multiplayer. But then you have games like Jericho or Doom, Turning Point, Fall of Liberty. I don't even know why you would bring up Turning Point, Fall of Liberty. <laughs> it's just not a, Let's pretend he didn't say that. You know, Doom, for example. You know, that is a game you traditionally play by yourself. But you think about the new Doom coming out, it's got a very expansive multiplayer with it. In fact, you could build your own maps. So even games that were kind of traditionally single-player first-person shooters are taking on a multiplayer focus. Well, why is that? Now, let's flip it. <laughs> Would you be okay nowadays... If your first-person shooter didn't have multiplayer. Oh, oh my. I don't know. I think less people would be satisfied. And it would be... I don't know. That, that would feel a little weird now. Because if a studio released a game with no multiplayer... I mean, it would have to be a pretty freaking good campaign. To spend $60 on it. And all you get is this experience. That most people would play once and a lot of other people wouldn't finish it so to pay $60 for just a campaign I don't know but then you flip it again you go back to multiplayer and you're spending $60 on just a multiplayer people feel more justified with that because they spend more time with it it might not be the greatest thing on the planet Battlefront so far but people are spending time with it and then you got something like Destiny, which had a story, but it was total garbage. And people are still playing it because the multiplayer facet of it is good. This is such a nuanced conversation. I need you to respond to me. <laughs> I need some different perspectives here. Speakpipe.com slash bar. Leave me a message on Skype. And I'll put you on air. 
The song is Torvus Bog. It's by Metroid Metal. You can find it on the other album, which is available on Bandcamp. Kill-death ratios are our topic game. We'll talk about that coming up. You're listening to Progress Bar.
That is Torvus Bog by Metroid Metal. It's on the other album. That's what it's called. Other album. You can find that on Bandcamp. You are listening to Progress Bar. My name is Anthony Shelton. Got El Zorro on the line. Talking about if you're okay with first person shooter campaigns or not. El Zorro, what you got to say? Hit me. Hey, man. First time caller, long time listener. This guy. <laughs> no, man. I mean, the campaign is pretty amazing. As long as it's pretty amazing. I mean, you were over there talking long stuff about uh, Turning Point. But even though the game itself was strictly B-grade, the story was just mind-blowing. You know? So a story can definitely be that saving grace that makes a bad game worth playing. Right, but I'm talking about the idea if if you if we took the campaign out of at least a regular popular game that didn't that traditionally had campaigns but is multiplayer based, like you said, a Call of Duty, a Battlefield. I mean, how would that go down? A game like Turning Point that already has kind of that balance and it's already campaign focused. Well, I mean, I don't think that the people who play the new Call of Duty every year would have a problem with that because, I mean, frankly, I don't know what the more recent ones have been like, but I remember beating Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 in less than eight hours. So, I mean, obviously, with the old Call of Duties, again, I don't know what you know the current ones are like, but campaign was not a big part of them. That wasn't that all their market was the first part or the campaign. So, I mean, people who spend 200, 300, 400 hours in a year playing Call of Duty play multiplayer. So would they mind? I really doubt it. Uh, I think, though, that they would still clamor for a price cut just because, you know, people always want a price cut on everything. It's like, oh, you're not going to give us a campaign? Charge us 45 bucks. You know? All right. Yeah. All right. Appreciate the call. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's 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 a good point. But at the same time, Ryan McCaffrey on IGN who wrote this article, I mean, he brings up a good point. He wants Call of Duty. He wants a Call of Duty experience. I want a Halo experience. And sometimes I don't feel like playing multiplayer I want to play Halo I want to play Call of Duty but I'd rather just be playing it by myself right now that's all I want I don't want to have to play with other people just give me AI maybe a harder difficulty maybe easy difficulty whatever I want and yeah we're good but if they take out the campaigns, I mean, what is that? What are the other people left with? Eh, I, I speak for myself. I don't even know what I want from this. Because certain Call of Duties, I play everything. And other Call of Duties, I don't play anything. Now, I will say, to Elzoro's point, a good campaign, I play. That's why I played Modern Warfare 2. That's why I played Modern Warfare, because it was a good campaign. That's why he played Turning Point, because it was a good campaign. Black Ops 2, not really interested. 
Black Ops, not really interested. Halo, I like. I like both. But you never really know what you're going to get until you play it. That's the problem. Of course, you could wait for reviews. But, you know, it's more fun to think about it if you were to buy it day one. Because that's what they're doing. They're expecting you to buy this $60 package day one. Expect you to be satisfied with it, with whatever they put out. Right? So if they got the gall to charge you $60, which Zara also made this point in the chat. It's not the first time we've played, paid $60 for just a campaign, for example. But now we expect more from our $60. And again, I think it has a lot to do with the online boom. But we expect more from our $60. This is just the way it is now. Alright. How do you feel about kill-death ratios? Because they added them in Heroes of the Storm. Now, whether or not you play Heroes of the Storm, that doesn't matter. The fact is, kill-death ratios are everywhere. We're talking about first-person shooters. They're in pretty much every first-person shooter that exists. And people get all up in arms over it. I don't get it. Maybe it's because I'm competitive. And if you're casual, I guess kill-death ratios could get really annoying. But people are like, take kill-death ratios out. They should not be in first-person shooters because they make people feel bad. It's like, no, it doesn't. If you don't care about how many times you died, if you don't care about how many times you killed people, then who cares about the numbers? The numbers are already confirming what you already know. If you went through a match and you know you didn't kill a lot of people and you know you died a lot, you don't need numbers to confirm that for you. Ignore them. But I think kill-death ratios are actually useful. I'll talk about Halo since that's the game I play the most, but... I know I've also played Heroes of the Storm, so I could give examples there. But specifically, especially in Halo, knowing how many times you died is actually really important. We'll take Halo 5, for example. Every time you die, you're, off the, you're out of the game for 8 seconds. If you died 10 times, you're out for a minute and 20 seconds. That's basically you just standing there, not helping your team, for a minute and 20 seconds. In the beginning of the match. You could give up 10 10 points right there. 10 points. Just because you weren't on the map. That's important information to know. Obviously. You don't want to die. Ever. That's obvious. But to know how many times you did. Because in the moment you're not tracking. So it's it's good you have the numbers at the end. And I also think the perception of KDR is, or KDA, which is kill, death, assists. The perception is a little bit off also. Because, you know, people use it to boost up their, or make themselves feel good, all that stuff. And it's like, yeah, you could do that. But really, the information is just to let you know how many times you took a person off the map. Which is super important. Because in an objective-based game like a MOBA, like Heroes of the Storm, it's important to take the person off the map so that way you can move forward. And if so-and-so is picking up 14 kills, 
And so, and everybody else, just for the sake of example, has zero. Well, that tells you a lot. That's a lot of information. You need that information. Because the previous way they did it, they actually combined kills and assists into a category called takedowns. So you know there were, you know, 22 kills total. But because kills and assists were all mashed up into this one category, you couldn't really tell who did the killing and who did the assisting. You just know everybody gets experience because it's it's very team-based in that manner, which I love. And everybody was helping in some form or fashion. Now, I like that system, but I also don't mind the change to kill deaths and assists because that information is super important if you like the competitive atmosphere. Now, if you're not into that, fine. Don't pay attention to the numbers. Ignore them. It's super simple. Now, I will say a problem is when you go into a player summary, usually the biggest thing that's highlighted is KDR. You know, 0.6. Oh, that player is bad. And, you know, when you're inviting a person onto your team for a competitive for competitive means, you want to know what their KDR is. Do they spend more time off the map or do they spend more time putting other people off the map? Because that's how you have to interpret that information. That's what it's there for. That's only one piece of the pie that you need to interpret. You need to look at other information, but that's the problem. Usually in player summaries, all the other information isn't given. You don't see how many assists. You don't see how much damage given. In Halo 5, they actually track your accuracy. You can see that now in a player summary. That's important information. And in Halo, how many assists you get is super important. Because that can let you know, is this person who may not have a whole bunch of kills, but has a whole bunch of assists, is he the one who's just not finishing his kills? Or is he just not encountering a whole bunch of people, but he's putting shots on everybody everywhere? There's a lot of information you could get just from KDR or KDA, but that doesn't necessarily say, oh, this player is super bad or this player is super good. When you get the full information, it puts kill, death, and assists more into perspective. But just looking at it and go, oh, he's got a 0.9 KDA. He's garbage because I got a 2.0. Well, we're talking about matchmaking, right? Just because I'm a team-based person. If I have a great team, I actually perform way better. I'm not the person that's going to carry my team in Halo. And I'm certainly not going to be the person that carries the team in Heroes of the Storm. That and in a game like Heroes of the Storm, you have different characters. So you have this overall KDA. You might most of the time use a healer. And having a 0.7 KDA with a healer actually might be pretty impressive. But you don't really use attackers that much. So your KDA just really isn't all that great. That's the kind of that's the kind of stuff you have to decipher, but people don't do that. They just look at it and go, "Well, I'm better." Well, no, look at the full information. 
That's what games need to do a better job of giving people. Give people more information, not just the KDA. But I'm for kill-death ratios and all that stuff. I think they're appropriate, especially in competitive games. They They give off great information. Alright, this song is called Flow of Time. It's a Chrono Trigger remix. It's by Richard Daskas, and you can find it on ocremix.org. You're listening to Progress Bar. That is Flow of Time. This is a Chrono Trigger remix. It's by Richard Daskas. You can find that on ocremix.org and download it for free. Zoro in the chat said, The only reason why I would buy into the importance of your KDR is if matchmaking put everybody into a plus-minus 
0.1 range to make sure matches are balanced. I would increase that a little bit. I would probably change it to 0.5, 0.7-ish at least. But um, that is a problem, major problem with matchmaking because it distorts the perspective. If matchmaking, I'll take Halo 5 for example. They have CSR, competitive skill rank, and I have no idea what algorithms, what numbers they put together to put people together. Because in my eyes, I'm like, well, okay, I'm platinum in big team battle. Platinum level one. Okay, so what should be happening is I should be getting matched up with all platinums. Anywhere between platinum one and three. That's how it should be. But I can't tell. I don't know if it's taking in my KD ratio I don't know. I don't know what it's doing. So, <clears throat> I assume I'm playing against people who are my skill. Maybe, maybe not. But I don't know because I keep getting in games where I blow people out or people blow us out. That that's that's the weird part. And if I'm playing against people who have a much better KDR for whatever reason, I mean, where did that KDR come from? Is it just factoring in the big team battle KDR? Is it just factoring in overall? I mean, what's it doing? Because my KDR in uh, Team Slayer is better than my big team battle. But yet, my CSR is higher in big team battle than it is Team Slayer. Confusing. I don't know how it works. Now, I know I actually perform better in big team battle more consistently but I tend to have a bigger fluctuation of good and bad KDR in Team Slayer. So I understand why I'm gold in Team Slayer and platinum in Big Team Battle. But it all affects my overall KDR, which is also ultimately based on how good my team is because I'm not one of those I'ma-just-slay-everybody-by-myself type of person. All right, that'll do it for today. You can follow the show on Spreaker. You can also subscribe on iTunes. It's not too late to leave a voicemail on speakpipe.com slash progressbar. Always interested to what you have to say. If you couldn't make it, if you're listening to the replay of this show, for example, don't be afraid to leave a voicemail. Love to hear what you have to say. Love some perspective. I don't understand everything. So if you got something for me, please hit me up. There won't be a show on Thursday and Friday because it's Thanksgiving. And Friday is the day after Thanksgiving. So I'm going to be out of town. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining the chat. Have a great rest of your Monday. And I'll talk to you later.